Okay, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. And we'll read. The Bible says, It was also said, Whoever sends away his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who sends away his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a sent-away woman commits adultery. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would enlighten my mind even as I teach this sermon today. Father, I pray that you would bring back to memory those things that I have studied about and use me, Father, in a mighty way, not for my glorification, but for yours. Father, I pray that I would be able to simplify this for people today and for generations to come, and that you would be glorified and that your word would be uplifted, and that through even the teaching of this sermon, many people may come to the knowledge of your Son, our kinsman redeemer. Father, I praise you and I thank you. In your Son we pray. Amen. I want to title this message simply, The Exception Clause. I have taught five messages to date on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And I think that before we move on in the Sermon on the Mount, that we need to cover the exception clause in somewhat of, of detail. Now, I do not claim to have an, somewhat of an infallible understanding of what the exception clause means, and I think I can definitely learn more and grow in my knowledge on this clause. But we find this in Matthew chapter 5, and we find this also in Matthew chapter 19. We have to come at this at a little bit different angle because most people understand the exception clause in this fashion. They want to say that there is an exception that comes into play that allows you to divorce your wife. Now, From what we've seen in the past couple of messages on this subject, We've seen that that can't be the case here in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. Yeshua is not abolishing the law of Moses. Yeshua is not going less or beyond the law of Moses. What Yeshua is doing is he is challenging the Pharisees and the scribes. He is challenging those that are listening to him to completely follow through with what the law actually teaches. And I guess... My custom is to, to do somewhat of a, of a review. I didn't necessarily have one planned in my notes this time. But that's what we talked about in last week's message. We talked about the issue of sending away a wife without a written document of divorce. And I had a lot of people ask me questions after the message last week. And that's great. I love that. But when we understand that that's what Yeshua is addressing, he's telling these men... Listen, if you send away your wife without a certificate of divorce, you cause her to commit adultery. She's still lawfully bound to you as her husband. And until she has that certificate or that document that provides proof that she is lawfully divorced from you, 
she cannot go and become another man's wife. That is a step that was being left out, obviously, by some people in the first century. They were not writing out that certificate of divorce, as Deuteronomy 24.1 talked about. We discussed how that the historian, the ancient Judahite historian, Flavius Josephus, talked about that in his antiquities. About the certificate of divorce and how important it was that if a woman did not have that, she could not be married to another man, as Deuteronomy 24 verse 2 states. So then Matthew 5.32, we discussed that, and whoever marries a sent away woman commits adultery. Why is marrying a sent away woman committing adultery? Well, the obvious reason is it's because she's still married to another man. And the primary definition for adultery is to have sexual relations with another man's wife. And if she's still married to another man, and you, quote-unquote, marry her, or try and attempt to begin a relationship with her in marriage, well then, you're committing adultery, because she doesn't have the certificate of, of divorce. Well, what's in a piece of paper, somebody may say? And you know, I've always been uh, very outgoing and, and, and outspoken on my position against state marriages. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that everybody that has a state marriage license isn't married. That, that's not what I'm saying. What, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that you do not have to have a marriage license by the state or by the government to validate your marriage. Now, I didn't say that there should not be any type of document. I think that it's a good thing to not only have vows in marriage, verbally or spoken, but I think that it's good to have something written down, a document verifying those vows on a piece of paper between a husband, a wife, and the witnesses that are present at the time that the two dedicate their lives to one another. So all I'm saying is that I'm not against a document or a certificate, whether for, for marriage or specifically, as we've covered, for divorce. All I'm saying is the state or the government doesn't have to give a person permission to get married in the eyes of Yahweh, nor does a pastor have to officiate or pronounce somebody a husband and a wife. You, you don't see that in the Bible. You don't see where a person had to have a, a minister marry them. That's just not, it's just not required. So that's all I'm saying. We, we very clearly see that the commitment was between a male and a female and that the authorization of the parents that were presiding over the children was what mattered. Okay? And then obviously we had two or more witnesses to verify any situation of that stature or of that uh, prominence. So what's in a certificate, you may say? Well, evidently, concerning the subject that we're talking about, divorce... It's extremely significant. It's significant to Yahweh. Yahweh's the one that inspired Moses and revealed to Moses to pin down Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, and place that particular step of the divorce in the written Torah, or the written law of our Heavenly Father. 
So I think it's it's definitely significant. And as I said last week, it protects the woman and keeps her safe from being accused of adultery, which is a transgression of biblical law. So, with that understanding in mind, refreshing our memory to that understanding, what then does this text mean when it says, except in a case of sexual immorality? Once again, Matthew 5.32, But I tell you, everyone who sends away his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. Remember, this is a sending away without a bill of divorcement. Why does it say except in a case of sexual immorality? The Greek word here for sexual immorality is the word porneia. This is the word from where our English word pornography is taken. The word pornography actually stems from two Greek slash Latin words, primarily Greek here we're dealing with. Porne, which has to do with sexual immorality, frivolous sex, unmarried sex in general, and uh, graphe, which is the Greek word for writing or drawing. Pornographe, or pornography, means writing or drawing about um, unlawful sex or harlots. Porne was a word that could be used not only for female harlots, but also for male harlots. So, why does Yeshua say, except for porneia? But we have to understand, what is porneia? Some Bibles, like the King James Version, will say, except for fornication. Generally, people define the word fornication as meaning simply, if two young people have sex before they get married. And I don't think that that's right. I don't think that that's lawful. I think that sex is designed for the marriage bed. Once the commitment has been made and the marriage has been finalized, okay, biblically, then sexual relations are supposed to take place and not not prior to that. So I do believe that sex before marriage, premarital sex, would fall up under the definition of unlawful sexual relations, and we could say fornication. But fornication, or porneia, more specifically in the Greek, is much more broad than that. We find in the Bible that the word porneia is used to describe homosexuality in the book of Jude. We find that it is used to describe incest in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We find that it is used to describe um, a male prostitute in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. A variation of the word, pornos. And you have variations of that word. Pornos, porne, porneia. Basically, though, we could go through these individually or one at a time, but I think when you examine the Greek word porneia, and I'm, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of Bible flipping on this word, but I want you to take the time to look this word up. Because I think when you, when you completely examine the uses of the word, not only in the Greek New Testament, but also in the Septuagint text, the Greek Old Testament, you'll see that porneia basically means unlawful sexual relations. 
unlawful sexual relationships. I mean, it can go so far to be talking about even sex with an animal. And we think that that's grotesque, and it is, but we think that it's maybe grotesque in a way that it's unheard of, and surely there's nobody that would even think about doing that. Well, needless to say, there actually are some cases of that even in the day and the time in which we live. And I can show you cases of that in history, and I can obviously show you in Leviticus 18 where Yahweh commands against it. And so people have sick minds, people are definitely evil, and there are people that would even go so far to debase their God-given body by lying down in an intimate relation with an animal. It's, it's just ridiculous if you ask me, but, but nevertheless that would even fall up under the, the broad definition of the Greek word porneia. And so here is what I think is probably the most provable uh, understanding of the exception clause is this, basically. Matthew 5.32, But I tell you, everyone who sins away his wife, except in a case of porneia, causes her to commit adultery. Basically what it's saying is, is that if you have taken a wife, but later on you find out that your relationship with her constitutes porneia, then you are allowed by the law, or really commanded by the law, to send her away, but you do not have to send her away with a certificate of divorce. And why is that? I've been placing such an emphasis on Deuteronomy 24's mention of a certificate of divorce. Why would I now say you do not have to give her a certificate of divorce? Well, the reason I say that is Matthew 5.32. This is a case of porneia. You were actually never lawfully married to that wife that you took. Therefore, if you were not lawfully married, there does not have to be a certificate of divorce. And so Yeshua is saying you cannot send away your wife and then you know cause her to commit adultery unless, unless it's a case of porneia, where you're sending her away because you have found that the relationship that you are in constitutes porneia, so you send her away. Now, we do have a case of this. I want to look at the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. We have a case of this in the book of Ezra, and I want to say it is chapter 10. Now, I have taught on this text in detail in, at other times, so I'm not going to do so at this time. There's a lot in Ezra 9, Ezra 10, and in Nehemiah 13 that deals with this sending away of some wives here. But let's look at Ezra 10, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, While Ezra prayed and confessed, weeping and falling face down before the house of God, an extremely large assembly of Israelite men, women, and children gathered around him. The people also wept bitterly. Then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, an Elamite, responded to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the surrounding peoples. But there is still hope for Israel in spite of this. Let us therefore make a covenant before our God to send away all the foreign wives and their children. According to the counsel of my Lord, and those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Now, 
Here we have a case where the Israelite men had taken wives that they should have never taken. When we look at Ezra 10, verses 18 through 44, we see a list of the men that married, quote-unquote, foreign women. These were women that were descended from forbidden lineages at that time, women that the Israelites were forbidden to marry, not just because of religion, that was part of it. The Bible very clearly teaches here that it wasn't just because of religion. There was no exceptions here in that those women from these forbidden lineages, if they wanted to convert and turn to the ways of Yahweh, the men could stay married to them. No, no, no. There was no case of an exception in that sense. They had to put away these wives and the, the Bible teaches that they had to put away the children that were born of these wives. Ezra 10, verse 3, Let us therefore make a covenant before our God to send away all the foreign wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Now, when you read Ezra 10 as well as Ezra 9, and Nehemiah 13, three chapters that are joined in talking about this incident, you will never find where the Israelite men were required to give these foreign wives a certificate of divorce. Why is that? Well, it is because this is a case of pornea. This is the case of immoral sexual relations, unlawful marriages, we could say. I know that this fits up under the broad definition of pornea, just from understanding the entirety and the, the broadness of the Greek word pornea. But it's not only because of that. I also know this because in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, well, let, let's turn over there. Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 verses 15 through 16. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. And see that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for one meal. Now, I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible, so this Bible uses the word immoral. The King James Bible would use the word fornicator. See that there isn't any fornicator like Esau. Now, it doesn't tell us why Esau was a fornicator here. The Greek word here is porneia. And when you go back to the book of Genesis, you find that Esau fornicated when he took wives from a forbidden lineage. That is, wives from the women of the Canaanites. The Israelites, or specifically at this time, the descendants of Abraham, were not to marry wives of the Canaanites or women from the Canaanite lineage. And you can find this there in the in the book of Genesis. It's very very, very plain. They were troublesome to Esau's parents. And even in Genesis twenty four, remember in Genesis twenty four where Abraham sends 
his servant to go find a wife for Isaac. And he tells him, You find a wife for my son from our kinsmen, from our kindred. Do not take a Canaanite woman. Do not bring back a Canaanite woman for my son. That's a forbidden lineage. And if you marry that person, quote unquote, and you have intimate relations with that person, you are committing pornea. That's what's taking place in Ezra chapter 10. So therefore, or because the relationship was one of pornea, there need not be a divorce certificate. So whoever sends away his wife, except in a case of pornea, causes her to commit adultery. But if you send away your wife, like they did here in Ezra 10, and it's a case of pornea, you don't cause her to commit adultery. What you're doing by sending them away is repenting. You are asking for forgiveness, you're repenting of that sin, and you're breaking up that unlawful relationship. And that's like I said, I think I said this in, in the, the sermon that I taught entitled, What Does the Law of Moses Say? That I'm not against breaking up unlawful relationships. Not against that whatsoever. I think that this in Ezra 10 still stands firm in today um, and in this time that we live in now. I also believe that you would break up a homosexual relationship. You know, you can't allow two men to continue in that relationship and think that they're going to have salvation. You've got to break up that relationship. It is unlawful. If you had an incestuous relationship, let's say two people got married, didn't know that they were in incest, that they were married married to somebody that was too close of kin for them to be married to, according to Leviticus 18, they should break up. They should break up. You cannot be in a relationship of pornea and then come to the knowledge of that relationship and think that you can remain in that relationship and be in a right standing with God. No, you have to ask for forgiveness and repent, and that means you send away that, that partner or that wife. And Specifically, I think, in Matthew 5, Yeshua has in mind something like Ezra chapter 10, although the word pornea is definitely much more broad. Now, I think that that is probably the best way to approach and to look at the exception clause in Matthew 5, and it's also recorded in another text that we have, we have delved into in this, in this series, Matthew 19. There is another possibility of the exception clause. I want to throw this out there. I'm not trying to be nonchalant or flippant, and this is definitely something that I have thought long and meditated hard about. But there is another possibility that doesn't negate the one that I've just told you. I think the one I've just told you stands firm and is solid. There's another possibility to the exception clause in Matthew 5. Yeshua could be telling the people that the only way that they're allowed to put away or send away their wives without a certificate of divorce is if their wife commits sexual immorality against them. So let's say a man is married to his wife, and they're both supposed to be servants of the father. The wife goes out and she commits sexual immorality against her husband. Let's say that she commits adultery with another man. Well, we know that 
when the law of Moses governed the people of Israel in a theonomic way, in a civil way, okay, by civil law, that if that happened and the requirements of the witnesses and all that the law had to speak about to lead up to capital punishment, if all that fell into play, we know the woman that committed adultery and the man that committed adultery with her were to be put to death, stoned. They would die. They would cease to exist. And we find this in Leviticus 18. And I think we find it in Leviticus maybe 20 or, or 21. I think Leviticus 20, somewhere around in there, about the death penalty for adultery. So that's what would have happened under the, the civil law or the theonomic law of Moses in ancient Israel. However, such is obviously not the case today. People do not get put in jail for committing adultery. It's even becoming less and less looked upon as wrong even by the quote-unquote Christian world today. But nevertheless, it still is wrong, and it is a sin, and I think that it still deserves to be punished by death. But obviously, we don't have the death penalty for adultery today. And I don't know, and I really don't think, that the death penalty was as flagrant or as enforced, maybe that's a better word, in the days of Yeshua when Yeshua made his statement in Matthew 5. Now, I believe Yeshua knew the law. He knew the Torah. And I believe he recognized that the Torah taught the death penalty for adultery or for porneia, if the wife committed porneia against her husband. But being that in the first century, and especially in the day and age that we live, there is no death penalty for a woman that does such. Yeshua could be saying this. In that case, if she commits porneia against you, you are allowed to send her away without a bill of divorcement. I've given you an allowance to do that. And why would he say that? Let's think about this logically. Well, if she was going to be put to death by the law, under the law of Moses, she commits adultery against you and she's put to death, then obviously there needn't be no divorce certificate under the law of Moses. And she's going to die. So you don't have to write out a, a divorce certificate. She will cease to exist. So what Yeshua is saying is, in cases, or could be saying, I should say, in cases, or in this day and age, you are allowed to do something that is equivalent to her being put to death. So even when the civil authorities of the land will not allow you to exercise the death penalty or capital punishment against your wife that has sinned grievously against you as her husband, then you do something equal to that, putting her away without a written document of divorce. You wouldn't have written a document of divorce under theonomic rule because she was going to be put to death. So you can do something equal. You can send her away without a bill of divorcement. And therefore, if she tries to get married to another man, she is in adultery. She is in sin. And you may say, well, that's pretty harsh on the woman. Well, it is hard on the woman, but she should have thought about that before she went and committed a sin unto death against her husband. I find that this is the case in many areas of life, even today, where people get 
themselves in a bad situation and because they do wrong or they do sin grievously against their spouse or against a friend or against their family and then they get in a bad situation people end up feeling sorry for that person and people end up feeling remorse but what should be felt is they should have thought about that before they did what they did you know when you break a law of Yahweh there can be forgiveness but that doesn't mean that you still do not have to pay a penalty for what you've done if if a thief in ancient Israel stole a man's sheep from his flock and then later on he repented and asked for forgiveness he could be forgiven but he still had to make restitution for what he stole he still had to pay the person he stole from back fourfold for for a sheep according to I think it's Exodus chapter 21 or 22 so this this is what's happening here we are feeling remorse for people that are not repentant a lot of times I find that people have this they have a remorse for people that are not repentant now do I want somebody to be repentant yes but am I going to feel sorry for someone that put themselves in that situation they committed a sin worthy of death and then I'm going to think that we're being too hard upon them was it being too hard upon them when Yahweh through Moses told the Israelites to throw rocks at them until they died well, I think that was hard but nevertheless they should have thought about what they were doing before they did it and in this case the woman should have thought about what she was going to do before she did it so Yeshua is saying you have the authority to send away your wife she commits pornea against you and that's something that she'll have to live with and if she ever gets married again she will be involved in adultery because she's still lawfully married to you and as we said last week in that case because the husband is not causing her to commit adultery by just sending her away without a bill of divorcement when it's you know not lawful to do so she's not committed any wrong it's just because of his hard heart in that case he's causing her to commit adultery so therefore he's liable but in this other case she's already went and committed adultery so he's not liable he's not causing her to commit anything so by law obviously according to the Torah he can have more than one wife so he can get married again and enjoy his life but as long as that woman is involved with another person or man she will be living in adultery and be committing adultery as long as she lives now do I think there could come a time when there's repentance on her part and she finally sees the error of her ways and she comes to her to her actual still husband that she committed pornea against asks for forgiveness says she wants to repent and uh, move on with her life well absolutely she she could and he could take her back you know as we see in the story of Hosea or he could give her a certificate of divorce and give her the freedom to go and be another man's wife so I think that this is some of the the options that we have for looking at the exception clause I know that my understanding of the exception clause is a lot different than the majority of those in Christendom today but I think that we've dealt with this biblically and scripturally and I think that this is more than more than likely the understanding for except for
porneia, or except for immorality. Let me make a point here as I close the sermon out. You need to understand, too, that porneia, although it does have strong connotations of sexual immorality, is probably better translated in, in its broadest sense as just immorality. Because porneia doesn't have to mean that sex is involved. It can mean even spiritual immorality. Going after other gods or other ways. And by the way, if you go after any other way other than Yahweh, it, it is what your God has become. So don't just think that you have to have a molten calf or some kind of idol to commit spiritual fornication or spiritual pornea. No. A spouse could go after another God and, and it could be it could be sex like we've talked about, or it could be money, it could be greed, it could be a number of things. But that too falls up under the category of porneia, which is probably best translated immorality. And so I just wanted to throw that in there. And so let's stand and, and close in a word of prayer as we end this message out, and, and I think as we end out this series of teachings on this subject. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you so much, Father. I pray that uh, most of all your word and thus you would be glorified. Father, I pray that you would use these messages in a mighty way. I pray, Father, that you would keep me humble and that if I have taught anything that is in error, that you would correct me through more study or through another person in my life. Father Yahweh, I pray above all that marriages would be saved, relationships would be mended, wounds would be healed. Father, I'm all for marriage. That's what I pray most of all. I pray that people would see the importance of marriage see what marriage is before they even enter into it so that they know that they're entering into a lifelong commitment to a person. And they would love them and honor them and serve them for all of their days. Thank you so much for allowing me to be able to talk about this subject, Father Yahweh. Give me wisdom and give me knowledge and give me understanding as I grow in your grace and in your knowledge. So, I love you, Father, so much. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your Son to die for me. Father, if there's anybody here today that does not know your Son and is not saved, is not born from above, pray that you would give them a heart of flesh and allow them to be born from above. I pray these things in Yeshua the Messiah, your Son. Amen.